Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So inspired by all of those millions of new COVID investors who are booing the stock market right now on Robinhood, former Dunktown sponsor. Danny and I decided to do a little bit of playing the market on our own. We're going to pick kind of some penny stocks here, basically. And the way we thought of it is there are players every once in a while who become all-stars or sub-all-stars or very solid starters, prominent names in the league that just nobody sees coming. And you're Jimmy Butler, 2015, for example, that sort of player. So who are the players that have the potential to do that? I will be very clear, again, these are like, these are penny stocks. These are small percent chance of this actually happening. We are going to be wrong on the vast, vast majority of these. And in fact, we are not predicting that these players will become stars. But if we just wanted to go through the league and say, hmm, if you squint hard, if everything works right, who could actually, maybe this could work out for them. So uh, were there any specific characteristics that you looked at that, uh, made someone more likely to be on this list yeah i i thought that for me they needed to have almost all of them are are like higher end athletes just because it's so much more difficult for players who don't have those gifts to really exceed expectations in the way that we're talking about they can become solid starters and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some players i actually have some players in that group and i'll also mention some of them are players that i because we were originally talking about this in under the under the radar as well and so there's some players who it's like their development has maybe been underappreciated i think i have a little bit in there too where it's also you could think of it the same way it's an undervalued stock it's like maybe the player is better right now than some people think but yeah physical tools were a big one for me uh strengths that can be accentuated in better systems maybe they're being misused or they just need to develop things that are developable like i have a couple players like that but i would say those are that's kind of the big arcing theme of some of these guys i can add a couple of things to that as well one of those is players who already have improved in unexpected ways sure. throughout their career. The past example of that would be a Pascal Siakam, where, wow, okay, first year, number 27 overall pick. He's actually, uh, he's starting for these guys. But, ah, you know, he's not that good. He has all these limitations. He never shoots. Oh, second year. Ah, he's still still playing a, a fair amount here. Like, this is, a, this is interesting. Like, people in the organization really like him. Third year, whoa, okay, most improved player, but you know, clearly he's he's older, is he's maxed out of ceiling now. Whoa, fourth year, he's second on my uh most improved player rankings for this year. All-star, max contract recipient. So if someone has just maybe they're not at that level yet, but they've shown consistent improvement throughout their career, that's one. And then the other one to me is potentially, and you kind of hit on this a little bit potentially having a very valuable skill set maybe you don't have a great chance of developing that skill set necessarily like the chances that it's actually going to happen but you do have that potential of wow this guy could be a really unique player if everything breaks right for him so those are some of the things uh, the general principles that i tried to apply here um and then of course some of the things that you talked about too of just good performance in limited minutes so some of the more typical stuff as well that can cause guys to, to get underrated i'm not going to start with the player that i think has the brightest future because he's a little bit more obvious and the re- he's more in the under the radar thing rather than than anything else so i'm going to start with kevin porter jr at th- various moments in time you and i both talked about how he was the best perimeter prospect you looked like the best perimeter prospect on the Cavs last year i stand by that knowing what we know right now you know maybe he'll get supplanted by whoever cleveland drafts in the first round but i like i like a lot of the kind of the connective tissue in porter's game offensively and i think he has the potential ability once he fills out a little bit to be intriguing to be at least capable 
capable defensively, which, you know, he's not going to be a star that way, but you don't need him to be. And so I like, I like just a lot. I like that he's, his jump shots, you know, it's not perfect, but it's not bad. And he's more comfortable with the ball in his hands. And I think he'll be able to get to the free throw line more in time. And so I think that he, he has a lot of potential. And remember he was drafted. Not only was he drafted 30th overall, he was drafted 30th overall with the closest thing we've seen to a sold first round pick since Rudy Gobert. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I guess just karma bites you in the ass when you sell a first round pick. Like that's what you should do. you should learn. If anyone could buy a first round pick, however you could do it, just do it because uh the basketball gods want to punish anybody who who sells a first round pick. Uh, yeah, for that I, I was out. I was writing up doing the Pistons offseason preview and I was trailing so they remember the Pistons got four second round picks in that and then they used two of those four to trade up like five picks in the second round to get uh Dervidas, um, who didn't play for them this past year. Yeah, that was one of the weirder picks. Uh, t- taking him number 37, just I, I didn't really... Oh, and it's Davidas Servitas. I, I combined his first and last. Yeah, I, I was I was about to say it's so nondescript that like, but he's uh, yeah, a, I mean, he's he now he's now a mononym apparently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dervidas. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I think like he's got a lot of natural scoring ability, a lot of confidence. You can say because he doesn't have a lot of high level experience that he maybe has some ceiling to explore, and he has a, a lot of athleticism. So I, I think yeah, are the is he are we predicting again that he's going to be an all star? no but you see maybe there's a possibility that he could just become really like a dominating score and be good enough at some of the other things oh i guess one of the other things one of the other uh just general principles that i had was guys who are really good defensively yes and that ties in a lot of times you'll see guys who are really good defensively they just have that sort of hard-working personality overall usually to be really good defensively you have to have a pretty good baseline of athleticism and all you have to really do is get to like relative, you know, be average on offense. And then if you're really good on defense, you're an extremely valuable player. So they don't actually have that much improvement to do. So I think that, and some of the guys that we've seen, Siakam, Butler are two examples of that. The guys we've already cited, uh, Kawhi Leonard would be another one of guys who really started off as very good defensive players and athletic players, hardworking guys, and were able to add the offensive skill set. Um, okay, my first guy, this is someone that people know well, but I think it's possible to me that this guy could make an all-star team in a different situation. That's Spencer Dinwiddie. He's older. This is not, this is one of those ones where I've been high on him for a while, but like he, it's quite possible that he could go into the playoffs this year and average, you know, in the high twenties in whatever playoff series they're going to lose because there's nobody else. He's shown the ability to really run the offense. Another thing too, is that he just, he's been really effective this year, but just his three ball has been uncharacteristically off. He's shooting like 30%. 30%. So if that gets up to a, a better level, like 35 or even high 30s, all of a sudden you have like a really good player because he's fantastic at getting fouled, fantastic at getting to the rim, underrated passer. Uh, and actually, you know, for rarity for a point guard who's that ball dominant, I think he's actually like pretty competent defensively. He's got some size he can switch. So that's that's one for me. I, I don't know. Do you think, is that one like too obvious for what we're talking about? Well, I think it's, it's he answers a little bit of a different question, which is like somebody who could thrive in a different spot. But I think it's fair. I, I your, your idea, and it's appropriate to do a stock thing with Spencer Dinwiddie considering what he attempted to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like you kind of, in a way, could buy stock at Spencer Dinwiddie. And I think that he, the, so it's, you know, that's, he, he to me is more kind of the like faces we want to see in new places. Like you and I have done that pod before. Yeah. Um, but I think he's a worthy inclusion in this too, just because there is untapped potential there. I think that, I mean, there were moments, it's so weird. Like, I wonder how we'll think about the 1819 Brooklyn Nets because D'Angelo Russell made the All-Star team, but you could make an argument that for meaningful parts of last year, they weren't all healthy, that he was the third best guard in their backcourt. You know, there were times when Levert looked great before he got hurt, especially. And then there were times when uh, when Dinwiddie looked fantastic. And Russell got the max contract, got the all-star bid, and was the second overall pick. So he had that part of his pedigree. But yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a supporter of Dinwiddie. I think that I think that he could be a, a very valuable player on a different team. And I like his position. You know how I love positional size, especially a point guard, because it allows you to see over the defense and gives you some other opportunities that most guys don't have. Yeah, and his teammate Karis Levert, you know, I think he's 
gets a little bit more pub agreed in this regard and doesn't have as good of a chance as Dinwiddie. he's actually not even that much younger than Dinwiddie either I mean but yeah I mean I think Dinwiddie could with some small improvements that aren't too unlikely and being in another situation like could be an all-star level of, of player man it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015 and I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and I ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant, featured in Giant Magazine, issue two. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finisher code CAPSPACE at checkout. You remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time here on the program. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know you came from us. Who's your next one? The next one I'm going to mention, you might, like, partially because you and I have talked about him a fair amount, but I think that in the original kind of interpretation of this as being under-the-radar players, I think the, the, there hasn't been enough discussion of how good Michael Porter Jr. could be. That we might, it just because of the super unusual circumstances where he missed the first, his whole first year and then kind of had the weird start to his second year, his offensive tools are unreal. And I think he, you know, I just talked with Adam Artis, as you did earlier in the hiatus, about how he fits in with Jokic and Denver's offense. And I, I think, so it's not, I, I, there are people who are acknowledging like how good he could be, but as a score, as an overall offensive force, I, I think there's a possibility that like a year from now we're like, oh yeah, obviously he's a star. Yeah, I, I think he was on my list, but further down, just because I think a lot of people acknowledge him already in Denver, uh, of course, the Denver prospect hype machine has been in full flight with him. And, you know, you know, I loved him 
before this I, he had the most impressive hoop summit week that of anyone that i'd ever seen you know so i've i i definitely see it with him you know i do wonder in terms of really driving efficient offense as a distributor or getting to the basket how good he can be uh but it, that's yeah he certainly has the potential i mean i can't argue with that inclusion and the only reason to argue with it is just that he's like too obvious so uh here's another one for me Nikhil alexander walker yep i would assume that you would have him on there as well extremely rough first year shooting percentages were atrocious couldn't do anything inside the arc although finishing is something that can get a lot better but he's an excellent passer tenacious defender smart I think as he gets stronger, that'll really help. He doesn't have a ton of explosion, which is an issue, and the ball didn't go in the basket for him from three either. But we saw a lot of flashes from him at the lower levels in summer league, in the preseason, and they had a ton of depth at guard this year. They have plenty of mouths to feed offensively. It could be a while before he gets a chance, but I think he has a little bit of a magical quality to his skill game that might in time i don't think he can be an all-star but i think he could be a solid lead guard for a team for a guy who didn't play it all this year i think it's reasonable to have him on this list. i think it's reasonable to have him on this list i will note that Nikhil ended the year at 34 percent from three so not as bad as he was at other moments in time that uh, and uh alexander walker what i think back to a lot is we actually saw him at the uh oh god what was the name of that event in 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 long beach um when he was in high school uh adidas nations adidas nations and yeah. he reminded me then of danny green that he was a tenacious defender and looks like he could hit some open shots but what has impressed me so much about alexander walker is that he's so much more dynamic with the ball in his hands and yeah. he makes a lot of like young guy turnovers that you imagine will be toned down with time and something i i love about him that was true not as much as i hoped with dante exum is the idea that i think alexander walker on a good team is probably off ball more than he's on ball you know that that rolls it but he can i think he can do that role and then if you want him to initiate or be a part of the transition and the second unit he can do it and so that makes him a more malleable piece and I think he'll be able to defend twos well. He's listed at 6'5", if that feels about right to me. And if he if he gets a little bit stronger, maybe he could do some of the like weaker threes, if depending on who you play him with. And yeah, I really like his inclusion his inclusion on this list as kind of like more of a penny stock because I think there's a chance that he could be a lot a lot more not a guarantee, but that he could be there. So yeah, I'm very supportive of his inclusion. Yeah, and he works hard. He's a good kid. Uh, really high skill level uh that he just needs to refine but i think he really reads the game very well uh my next guy is kobe white now you know number seven pick that's it's pretty pretty high pick so maybe, maybe this is cheating a little bit but you know it's not like he had I, I didn't include year. kobe for that reason I yeah, mean, you we thought both, you thought that was. I too mean, obvious. we both had him like what fifth in the draft, but in the class? but well, yeah. Oh no, I agree. I mean, I think I had him fourth on my board overall. But I I also don't think anyone is talking about him as a potential future All Star right now. Yeah, like, I, I think that is a a possible outcome for. I don't think anyone is talking about him like that. So that's why I, I would include. I think I think that's. Uh, I think he hits the criteria there. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. And he, you know, if the shot falls for him more at more. I'm a little bit concerned that some of the stuff about getting to the basket, but which concerned me back when he was at UNC, you know, like the idea of like, what does he do when he gets there? That some of that is st still present, but he, he'll get better. Guards often improve at finishing and he's still young and can do that. I don't think that the next guy I have has the same kind of upside, but I wanted to talk a little bit about DeAnthony Melton because he defends well for his position. I think that he has, I think that he has more, that he can do more with the ball in his hands that he's done. I think that, you know, his jump shot isn't great, but I think it can improve. Also worth noting, 82% yeah. free throw shooter this year, 81% um, for his yeah. NBA career. His shot doesn't look busted, even no. though he's shooting in the 20s from three this and, year. And so if, if Melton can be a more reliable three-point shooter, I, I think that there's an, you know, he can create, I think he can create pretty solid offense now. And remember, Melton, he's going to be a restricted free agent this year. He just turned 22 a couple days ago. And I think that give him another three years, he can be a, a valuable part of a good team and something that's kind of hard to replace. And that's part of why I'm enthusiastic about where Memphis is going. So, and again, this is, these are in no particular order, mm -hmm. by the way, just to, to be clear about that. I want to talk about two Celtics. Oh, I think, I think you're, I have both of these on my list if you're going where I think you're going. Um, Grant Williams is one of them again, where, you know, I don't think he has quite the physical capabilities of Draymond Green, but I think he can become a better shooter than Draymond. He's got like a little bit of a mashu post game that could eventually be used as well. And then defensively, he's 
not quite where Draymond is, especially just due to his lack of length and he doesn't have quite the shot blocking ability, but his ability to get his chest on guys defensively, another just great kid, hard worker, really reads the game. He struggled from three, and I think that maybe cast a pall over his season early on. I think he was like 0 for his first 26 this season off the top of my head. But I think he's one of those guys where, you know, he'll he's not ever going to make an all-star team, but he could be a very, very valuable player, you know, a guy who really shines in the impact metrics. You know, think of a, you know, like a better Jared Dudley uh, type is maybe eventually what, what he could be, a more athletic Jared Dudley. Uh, yeah, that could be a very, very valuable player. You know, he could just be a starter in this league for a long time. And, and that's, you know, again, maybe that's like too obvious. I don't know. I don't know what everybody, what the general populace thinks of Grant Williams. I know that the, the team is very high in him, but uh, I assume that was one of the guys you had as well. He was. I didn't have him as high on the list as as Robert Williams, who we'll talk about in a second. But something I really liked yeah. about Grant Williams is that I have never seen a incoming rookie be more vocal defensively in summer league than Grant Williams. And we, you know, that's one of the few places where we really get the opportunity to see that. And I remember him just like leading the defense and talking, telling everybody where to go in their, I think it was their second preseason game, second summer league game. I was just floored. That's not the type of thing that happens very often. So he's smart and vocal. And, and Draymond is, I think in some ways comparing him to Draymond does Grant Williams a disservice just because. I mean, it does everybody who's ever been compared to him exactly probably <laughs> but and then and then for robert williams the 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 guy who who struck me going back to um when he was in college was deandre jordan but what i think robert williams I think he has a lot higher defensive ceiling. And I know Doc Rivers talked about DeAndre Jordan as being a potential defensive player of the year. And I I mocked him then and I continue to mock him for that now, other than being a wonderful advocate for his players. But Robert Williams, I think that he, I don't think he's going to win a defensive player of the year. I don't think he's going to do that. But I think that that general archetype of like nasty role man, great catch radius, good screener, and capable, maybe periodically dominant defensive player, solid rebounder. I think that he can do that at, at a high level and yeah that's probably not a top five center with where the centers are now but that's a very valuable player if he can get all of it yeah he wasn't on my list maybe he should have been oh so you have a third more, celtic yeah Ooh. um romeo langford okay yeah i'm fine with that and again this is a very low probability we haven't really seen him get a chance to do anything with the ball but he he did that at the high school level he's got to figure out his shot i think he competes pretty well defensively he's got size on that team, I mean, there are not many reps to go around on the ball for a wing slash guard. But I, I don't need to spend much time on it. But it's just, you know, all right, you could maybe see it based on kind of what he was in, in high school and just a few flashes that he's had uh, at uh, the NBA level. You want to do another one? I'm assuming you're not going to allow me to say Jonathan Isaac. Is that fair? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was actually, I thought of him and then Hollinger was writing how he thinks he should get, you know, 25 million a year or in an extension. Okay. Like, nah, so if you're getting go. 25 million a year in an extension, you're probably yeah. not underrated enough. So another guy that we lamented how late he was drafted, which was true of a few of the other guys we talked about, including Michael Border Jr., is Sekou Dumbuya. And not, you know, not a perfect rookie year by any stretch of the imagination with the Pistons, but I still really like his physical tools. I think that he, he plays with some, he, he has some really nice moments energy-wise. And you, you see those little flashes, like there were a couple of defensive plays and offensive plays that I saw in the Pistons this year. And admittedly, I was not watching the late pre-hiatus Pistons as much as I was watching some other teams. But I still... Yeah, I saw like his good games right when he became a starter. And then you know, I didn't watch the Pistons that much around the trade deadline. I looked down and like his uh, yeah. stats were just awful. But I, I still think I still think that there's something there. And I, I like him. I like his... I like his building blocks a lot, so I wanted to mention. I, I would take a lot of I would take a lot of penny stocks of him. Yeah, he was one I I thought of him, but and just due to his youth and pretty decent, although not unbelievable athleticism. I don't know if I see the upside for him as like a really premium offensive player. Um, and I don't know if that's what you were saying either. But I think most people would say they see him as like a potential future starter. Um, so do you see a, a possibility of more than that? Yeah, I think he could be a, a top 20, top 15 starter. And and I mean, hell, if he can be a capable wing, that's that's even even yeah. better. Yeah, and that skill set were it to develop, it would be extremely valuable. Another one that I actually thought of here is his teammate Bruce Brown. Great defensive player, one, one of the best. Doesn't quite have the size to guard the best wings, but as a 1-2 defender, one of the best in the NBA has this odd skill set where on the ball you know he's putting up triple doubles 
in summer league and can attack the rim pretty well but then you know hasn't really been asked to do that at the nba level and his shot he's gotten a little more aggressive with it but really was turning down a lot of shots this year but it's the kind of thing where because his defense is so valuable if he can just get he's one of those guys he gets to average offensively he has some intriguing skills you know he could be a guy where okay i don't know if i see all-star for him but i could see him as a guy who's really a long-term starter in the league gets like a real long-term contract he's he's got to make some improvements that he's probably not going to make offensively but because of that defensive value and athleticism and that on ball ability there are some raw building blocks there so that's just one that came to mind for me a little bit i mean i'm not he turns 24 in august he's not as young as some of these other guys but he is he does sort of fit into this archetype of, of player who uh has surprised us in the past yeah i find brown an interesting and worthy inclusion because i've been i feared for a little while i like i like his intensity on defense that i fear that brown is going to be more of a kind of a quadruple a player where he's he's good at a lot of things but not not good enough to like really make that sort of leap but there is absolutely a chance that he does and as you were saying if he can do what he does defensively and then make a jump offensively and do that and briefly briefly because he doesn't have the same kind of ceiling i want to mention their other teammate Svi mikhailiuk because if you could shoot the way that Svi can in moments and he Remember, 40% on five threes a game this year for the Pistons. I think there's still, a, I still think there's a chance, like we're buying, we're buying it low yeah. that, he that, becomes, that he could become sort of a Duncan Robinson yes. type. Yeah. And remember, uh, he's still what, he's like three years younger than Duncan Robinson is right now. Yeah. I mean, cause he started at Kansas as a 17 year old. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay few other ones here who else am i oh i want to mention one this is again i don't think he's necessarily under the radar but if we're playing out where he is now and where it could be i want to mention matisse theibel like he could be the most destructive perimeter defender in the league pretty soon and then i don't mind his jump shot at all i think that it's getting better and he can do a little bit on ball but you put those pieces together, especially with, with the way he surprises people and how unusual he is defensively, I think he could end up, you know, rising above. Like, I think he could be more than the three and D that some people are going to pigeonhole him into. Yeah, three with a capital D. Yes. <laughs> two, two Ds. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I don't know if I see enough of an offensive upside. I think he also gets a lot of pub. It'd be hard for me to put him on an all-star team. So that that's where I mean. I mean, if he wins, both, if he think, wins defensive yeah. player of the year on the perimeter, then it could make an all-star team. Yeah, yeah maybe that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, the perception of him is a little higher and the upside is a little lower. So that's why I, I didn't include him. Um, here's one for you. This one falls into the valuable skill set and has been making continued improvements, and that's uh, T.J. Warren. Yes, yes, he is. He is twenty six. But two years ago, all of a sudden, he became a really solid three-point shooter. And then this year, he became a very solid defensive small forward. And he's always had the scoring game. And so now, if he can just make incremental improvements in his scoring, the, the one thing is he's probably never going to be an on-ball creator. But if he just gets to be a little bit better a shooter, a little bit better of a secondary score with that floater and drive game, and a little bit better defensively, you might be able to make an argument that he's pretty close to all-star status. Uh, and and he has shown the improvement. He, he's sort of this nebulous figure where you know he would just disappear to North Carolina for the summer, and then he comes back and he's like this awesome shooter all of a sudden uh, in Phoenix. But it's uh, that's one just because of the rate of improvement, I would keep him in mind. Um, the Pacers are also another team that has a lot of mouths to feed, so we may not see it with him as like quite enough of a score. But uh, yeah, if uh, Victor Oladipo doesn't play uh, uh, in Orlando, then maybe we'll see more of him. Somebody I want to mention more because I think they're cur- like I think they're better now than some people think, and rather than that he's insanely high upside is Jakob Pertl. Jakob Pertl is a solid defensive center right now. This is one of a, a, a really interesting stat in my opinion. Opponents shot fifty nine point four percent at the rim when Pertl was on the floor this year. That's 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 a, like a good job for a defensive center. The volume was a little higher than you'd like, but there are a couple of reasons why that could be the case. That fifty nine point four goes up to sixty six. 6.4 in the minutes Pirtle didn't play. That's part of why his, uh, the the box, like the PIPMs and the box score stats loved Pirtle, his defense this year. And I'm not saying, you know, like solid starting center is the most valuable thing in the world. I, I stand by my stance that if you're outside of the top like 10 or 12, that you probably shouldn't get paid a ton of money. And Pirtle's not probably going to get paid a ton of money. But I, I, I just think that he, he deserves, he deserves some mention in this, even though he doesn't have the same upside. 
Another one that I would add is, uh, in a similar vein, is Avicha Zubac. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he is, uh, the numbers with him on the floor defensively in terms of protecting the rim are very good. And, you know, he seems like kind of this slow European big. And, uh, you know, in his early Lakers days, he didn't have much of an effect on some bad defensive teams. But the Clippers really defend a lot better. Uh, the numbers don't show it as much overall because of shooting luck uh, against him and in favor of Harrell. And then he's a really competent offensive center, excellent pick and roll finisher, excellent offensive rebounder. He's got the ability to mash some smaller guys in the post defensively. So I could see him being uh, maybe eventually having kind of a Brook Lopez esque upside defensively and if he could get to that level and also just be you know a solid you know Jonas Valanciunas on offense and Brooke Lopez on defense like that's a pretty damn good player yeah somebody I wanted to mention and I'm interested to see how you think about his inclusion is Eric Pascal. somebody that yes we, uh, he was on my list that we are more familiar with because even though they were unbelievably terrible we saw a lot of the Warriors in person this year something that I I, I was really impressed by with Pascal is that he had 57% true shooting this year despite the three ball not falling at all like he was a he was a 33% three-point shooter at Villanova over his years. And yeah, the college line was and is closer than the pro line. But if he's, you know, more in that range and he was a 77% free throw shooter this year, if he can be low to mid 30s, capable defensively, showed a little bit more with the ball in his hands than I expected this year. And what I really like about Pascal, he plays a position of intense value. And I think he's he's kind of reverse scalable. What I mean by that is I think that he can play a smaller role on a good team successfully. We talk a lot about a guy who can ramp up usage and not sacrifice efficiency, but I think he can do the other thing well and focus more on the parts of his game that are important if that's what's warranted by his circumstance. And I think next year's Warriors team could be that. Yeah, I think he actually could be an efficient 20-point a game score in the NBA, and things really slowed down for him after the All-Star break. He trusted his size more. He distributed more. I think he averaged like four or five assists after the All-Star game. After you know he had this period, once he had that initial jag of scoring, teams were like, okay, well, we're just going to take charges on you and make you pass, and he couldn't do that. And then he really, because he was just charging headlong into people, and I think his jump shot, he really jumps very high on his jumper and has a high release from the mid-range. So his ISO game could be pretty effective. And I think you could even do, you know, handle the ball a little bit and try to get the mismatch against a smaller player uh, in a pick and roll, handling the ball. You know, they did that a little bit. In some ways, Kerr's system was not that conducive for him, even though he was the only option sometime. They didn't really go to him as much with just some of those like standard ISO mismatch type of plays. And then the three ball for him, Slater had a good piece about this in an interview with him where they tried to change him into shooting a set shot deep from three. He wasn't comfortable with that. He went back to shooting really a jump shot from three. And that's, you make it every once in a while, but it's really hard to shoot that almost on the way down from the NBA three-point line. So there's hope that he can reconfigure his shot in uh, what's going to end up being, what, a nine-month break, uh, if not longer, God forbid, uh, for the Warriors. So yeah, I mean, I I think he, it's going to be weird seeing him on this team. And and defensively, he's got some switchability too. We're spending a little more time on him, but I, I think he, and he's also, I think he's going to be, might be 24 by, by the time he suits up again. Yeah, I had uh, a lot of but, older, young guys, older, like less experienced NBA guys on my list, I, and, yeah. which is well, interesting. Well, and that's part of part of why people don't see them coming. It's easier to kind of be all the young guys, sky's the limits on their potential. So again, you know, is he ever going to make an all-star team? Uh, you know, it wouldn't, it's not possible to me. It's not impossible to me. Um, all right, who else? I guess you pick Pascal. So, uh I still think that there's a chance for Darius Garland, and it could just be, I, I did think he showed some improvement, particularly as a finisher with some of those like cheeky scoop finishes towards the end of the year, but, and his lack of athleticism worries me. The pairing with Sexton is pretty atrocious defensively, but it could just be that he hadn't played basketball in a year when he started the season, and that's why he was so bad, and maybe he could take a major step forward. I, I after, like you. I like you mentioning him. After this. I like I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm I'm not high on him. I like Kobe White a lot better, but it just he was highly touted enough, and he has a valuable enough skill set in theory that maybe if it works out, he could get there. I'm not totally writing him off yet. For when you started that little intro, I thought you were going to say Dennis Smith, and I'm like, we probably should talk about Dennis Smith in this podcast. Um, 
Though no, that's uh, that that ship is mostly yeah. sailed, at least for uh, sadly for now. I had a couple of guys I wanted to mention as we're kind of winding this down as not really starter upside, but when you consider kind of what teams invested in them originally, like that they could really grow from here. And the guy I wanted to start with there is Cody Martin. Cody Martin, second round pick for the Charlotte Hornets. I you know not not and his brother Caleb was was undrafted, but I like the way Cody Martin defends and if. You know, even if he shoots the way that he did in college or even close to that, then it's there. But it's going to have to, in order for him to be like a real, a starter on a decent team, that's going to have to come around a lot more because it feels like he's always going to be a lower usage player. But I still think that, I, I think that there's a chance when you consider how hard he plays and how a lot of the good things that happened for the Hornets beyond them dramatically exceeding their point differential happened when he was on the floor. And I don't think that was entirely coincidence. How many more do you have? I just have a couple more that I want you to mention briefly. Um, no, I don't have. Okay. Okay, I, pro- I probably got like five or six. Okay, so, so maybe you, I'll, you I'll run a off. Couple. Yeah, I'll run off a couple. I think his teammate Devontae Graham is. So I think there's because Graham's shooting fell off over the course of the season after being such a revelation. I mean, he's still taking what 10 threes a game essentially, and he does struggle to finish at the rim. Although he, he is probably an underrated passer, but maybe so i think everyone's like oh you know his shooting was just going to regress and yeah you know he started from nothing and then he had this really good good season and so i think there's a natural inclination to think that there's going to be a regression he's undersized but there's also the possibility that hey what if he makes 40 percent of those three-pointers that he's taking next year mm-hmm. you know that 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 is an outcome that could happen and if so you know you're probably talking about in the east you might be talking about a near all-star especially with the number of opportunities that he's going to have in that hornet's offense yeah i, I like that as a choice i'm going to go with somebody who has lower upside but we've talked duncan robinson's name has come up a few times and there are reasons to be a little bit uncomfortable with cam johnson but holy crap can he shoot the damn ball and there are ways to use that and i don't know if if the suns are going to get there all the way next year but i wanted to mention him as somebody because if if you can put it enough together and or if his shot is just that good then he becomes a an incredibly useful player on a good team that's an interesting one yeah another guy who's older yes i I mean i really i want to see i need to see a lot more versatility to the jump shot for him i mean i want to see and they don't use him this way but i want to see i mean at six nine if they could start using him like running off of screens and stuff and really you know as opposed to just being a spot-up guy but a guy who creates the gravity with his off-ball movement then yeah maybe and he is really an excellent excellent shooter right about that and you know he wasn't as bad defensively as i thought either you know so a lot of it has to do with him being passable there uh lonnie walker has to be on this list yes and maybe i mean i you know i i always i don't know what people perceive I, i'm sure there are a lot of spurs fans who are like you know yeah you damn well you're like lonnie walker's too obvious uh but i mean his his athleticism is pretty ridiculous and he can has some wiggle with the ball he can create shots he can't really make them at this point he's not really an off-ball three-point shooter but he has all the physical tools he is in that spurs development system that might be a little overrated at this point but also does a pretty darn good job still uh, at a minimum and so i'm uh, i do think you definitely have to mention him especially with some of that jaw-dropping athleticism uh, now that he's recovered it in particular from uh, some of the knee problems that he's had i really like walker in this specific concept, because we're not saying it's a guarantee that's going to work, but it's the idea that if it does, he'll be very good. And I, I firmly agree with that. It also might not be in San Antonio. We'll see where that team goes over a couple of years. They just have, I think they are not developmentally, but roster wise, just a kind of a strange fit for him. But I do like a lot of, you know, the, the dynamism with the ball in his hands. I'm going to go a little lower upside for a couple guys, just of two centers that I think I like more than the general consensus right now. Rookies this past year, Daniel Gafford and Goga Patatze. I just think both of them could end up being capable starters in the league. Neither one was that huge. We were kind of surprised that Patatze went to the Pacers when you consider the surplus they already have at center. But Gafford, you know, I, li- I like I, both of them have guys that I like better on their own teams, but I think they could end up being good players. Gafford I will respectfully disagree with you I really just don't see it I think he's just yeah he's got some bounce but he's not like great laterally and it doesn't really seem to have much of a skill set outside of the immediate basket area and he's a center but Bitadze I agree with you and this is one that comes down to that thing I talked about in the beginning of the skill set of blocking shots on one end being able to space the floor on the other end and how valuable that is and how well uh, that means that you can fit in as we see with his teammate Miles Turner and is he going to fulfill his potential as either a shot blocker or a shooter I have no idea but if he does then he immediately becomes a very very valuable player 
Um, let's see, who else do I have here? I have one other. This is a very unusual player, and you could argue that he shouldn't qualify. But if Markel Fultz can ever figure out any part of this again, yeah, like no, he, I mean he, he was on my list. Although as I've said before, he still hasn't been quite as dynamic, even for the parts of his game that aren't agreed. broken. To to where I was like, you know, I, we talked about this before. I think one time, like even if his jump shot was normal, I don't know that he would have been on the path to stardom that we predicted because the other stuff isn't just like so unbelievable. Um couple more for you here mitchell robinson that's too obvious probably yeah, right yeah I, I i didn't include him for okay. that exact reason um terrence davis toronto has really really developed guys he's got a ton of athleticism we saw it in person with some nasty dunks in uh the only game that stephen curry played in, in 2020 in uh chase center and he shot it well from three. He's not supposed to be that good of a shooter, but maybe he, if he's that improved, he's got the athleticism to play really good defense. And so, you know, maybe he could be something even like beyond maybe where Norm Powell ended up. I and mean, you think of all these guys who have come through that Toronto has developed. So he's in the right place. His on-off numbers were awesome this year. And uh, I think, the, again, I'm not predicting like all-star level for him, but it's not ah, like maybe it could happen. It, maybe it could happen. Um, and then a couple others that I had, Malik Beasley. Yep, I had I, him too. Like, yeah, I think that's just a, a possibility. Just seeing what he did, some of those games D'Angelo Russell didn't play, but seeing what he did in Minnesota, what he did last year, and, and he shot it really poorly this year in Denver. Now, we can talk about his defense and his passing as uh, maybe being a little substandard, but he's someone who could be just like a really good microwave scorer uh, as a two guard. Anyone else that you had? Let me see if I got anyone I think else. that's... I think think that's about it um i mentioned three players very briefly Derek jones jr i don't think that he has the feel or the ball skills or the shooting ability but he sure as hell has a shitload of raw athleticism and so if he's ever even able to put it together in any of those respects all of a sudden he could look really good uh jalen mcdaniels in charlotte a total sleeper didn't play much we did a little segment on him in a 15 and 60 towards the end but he just has a lot of length and a lot of tools showed some shooting ability some rebounding ability uh and i think that's all i got anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do some news? Yeah, let's start with um, Lugan Stort. One of the surprises of this season was a, on a two-way with the Thunder, but was one of their lead perimeter defenders and looked like the Thunder were going to have to, you know, make a move to get him on their bubble roster. And they did. And I think Sam Presti got himself one hell of a team-friendly deal. Yeah, what did the parameters end up being of that? So it's fully guaranteed for next season. So for the 2020 slash 21 season. And I think there's about 600,000 guaranteed over the next, this following two seasons. And then a, and then a team option on the, on the last year. Yeah, I guess we got to run through. This will probably be a common, hopefully not that common. Cause this, I mean, I, I would predict hopefully that this is the time when we're getting the most coronavirus tests, which is not unexpected. We, we players have been out in the world 
and they began formal testing at team facilities on june 22nd and they're testing every other day for basically the next two weeks but there are a number of players uh, who have in fact tested positive the most prominent of them is Nikola Jokic. He remains in Serbia right now. He has to get two negative tests before he can return. Of course, he has lost the, these 40 pounds as well. I don't think that's related. Uh, but he was hanging out with like N- Novak Djokovic. And it's unclear to me, we talked about last time, this 14-day period that of no activity at all that you have to go through when you have a positive test because they're, they're worried about cardiac issues does that start when he returns does it start when he disclosed the coronavirus test does it start when he first tested positive whenever that is it's not really clear in that league handbook of exactly when that's supposed to start for guys who tested positive before camp even started here i mean and this isn't really camp this is just phase god i don't know phase two phase one i can't remember what the phases are but um and then for all these other players it's important to remember they are going to be right now you're having socially distanced workouts with coaches in the facility phase two you have workouts you're going to have up to eight players in the facility but still no real interaction among players it's no close contact so these guys who just tested positive, they're all basically have to have 14 days of inactivity and they can't even start doing anything until they get to Orlando. And that's, you know, July 7th through 9th that they're getting there. And the season starts on July 30th. So they really are going to have about 20 days to ramp it up and, and having to have this enforced lack of activity before that. It's going to make things difficult. I would imagine at a minimum, all of these players are going to be on severe minute restrictions when the actual season starts. They may have held the whole league maybe on minutes restrictions when the actual season starts. That'd probably be smart after this long layoff. Agreed. But, um, so we got Jokic. Um, Phoenix was reported as having two positive tests, but it's not known who those are as of now. Sacramento, Buddy Heald, Jabari Parker, who is in Chicago, Alex Len, and one other player who has not been identified have tested positive. Again, there's no indication that these players have been in the facility or are spreading in the facility. And given the precautions that have been in place, they shouldn't be spreading it at the facility. That shouldn't happen if they're doing it correctly. Uh, for Miami, Derek Jones Jr. has tested positive. He's a, an energy guy, has to uh, be a pretty big part of the Heat's rotation. They have plenty of depth, but he's an important piece for them, to be sure. Uh, and then Zach Lowe also said he knows that more players have tested positive than have been reported or revealed. He reported that on his podcast today with uh, our buddy Kevin Pelton. And Dan Feldman has made a good point. Brian Windhorst has made this in the past about injuries in general, but I guess it is a little bit different somehow for the coronavirus as opposed to, you know, a sprained ankle or something. But, and certain players just don't want this reported. And there are medical rules uh, uh, about that and legislation. But if you're going to be having transparency and gambling for people to never have never know that someone tested positive for coronavirus and now they had to sit out two weeks you know if you're making a bet on phoenix to you know win i mean hopefully nobody's doing that to to make the playoffs but and you don't know who on their team tested positive you know that's that's a little bit of a concern for me but i'm you know uh, i I don't know if there's a a way around that but it it is just something that should probably be noted we've also had a couple of more announcements of players who are not going to play for their respective teams. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is going to sit out. He's expecting a child, and the Mavericks have... And he was also expecting to not be in the rotation. Yeah, and Trey Burke, <laughs> Tra- and they're going to sign Trey Burke, and not not necessarily to, play, to replace Cauley-Stein, but to, I mean, they are from a roster perspective, but to, re- to replace Jalen Brunson, who's still dealing with that surgery that he had. I believe that was on his labrum, and... I mean, we have to expect. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Go, no, no. no you we say? have to you, expect you're still, that. You're still talking about Colley Yeah, Stein, we have right? to expect that Colley Stein is going to opt in. I mean, that seems yeah. pretty pretty damn likely. And that's why you get a player option because a player, you presume that you're going to decide on it correctly. Then the other important. Yeah. And, and I think for him, too, part of his calculation was hey, you know what? I'm probably not going to play. I wasn't in the rotation. And, and so, like, was I really going to play my way into a bigger contract? I've got the player option. Why don't I just stick with that? And his player option will pay him more than what the minimum is going to be right and and the mavericks are going to need somebody like him so if they're willing to give him a chance next year with dwight powell still be going to be out at the start of next year that 
he could get that opportunity. Then for the Lakers, Avery Bradley, citing family concerns, will not play in the bubble, and there's speculation that he will be replaced by by multi-time LeBron James teammate, well, I guess Justin Cleveland, Jared Smith. Yeah, Bradley, of course, in addition to the anti-racism efforts that he has championed, uh, I think he has a child who uh, has breathing issues and has struggled to recover from illnesses before. So that was a big concern for him that they really they wouldn't be able to join him in Orlando. The Lakers are looking at a long playoff run. He's another guy who has a, a player option for next year as well, should he choose to exercise it. Uh, so I think all of those things added up for him to not wanting to play, which I completely understand. I completely understand anyone who doesn't want to uh, play in this restart. And what does that do for the Lakers? Recall that they signed Deion Waiters, who has not even played for them yet. They also signed Markeith Morris, which can kind of push everyone down a position if they want to go with him. They also have Kuzma, who can play in that role. They also have plenty of centers who can play in that role. If you're playing LeBron at the three, uh, you've still got plenty of guards. Rondo, Caruso, KCP uh, was actually the most common closer. Uh, Kevin Pelton had that in his beats, the most common closer of any of the Lakers guards. So they have a lot of options. And Bradley wasn't quite big enough to go into a switching system if they wanted to do that with AD at center either. So it's a loss for them, but I think more in terms of depth than quality. I agree. On the floor. A couple other signings. Uh, The Spurs signed Tyler Zeller, so he will be a part of their... Boring! Denver signed PJ Dozier. Brooklyn signed Tyler Johnson, which required them to waive Theo Pinson uh, because I don't think they had the the spots for it. And um, to resolve... Dan Feldman's favorite, favorite, oh, man. like, quandary of the 2019-2020 season. He, he's going to tweet at us uh, complaining that we saved it for this long into the podcast. Uh, Chris Dunn was basically they prorated the starter criteria and so instead of getting it he, he looked like he was gonna not qualify for the starter criteria and so have a 4.6 million dollar uh qualifying offer instead it's 7.1 million and that is actually really important for chris dunn because it feels like there's a distinct chance that he gets squeezed by the market and thus signs that qualifying offer so that is an extra 2.5 million dollars in his pocket should he choose to do so yeah, I, I think that that could that qualifying offer could be more than he would get in terms of an offer on annual salary in a multi-year deal. And is that a number that's big enough for the Bulls to not make that offer? I don't think so because they don't plan on using cap space this uh, offseason. So there isn't really much in terms of a downside. It might be overpaying for him on a one-year basis. But uh, I think there's a, a pretty decent chance that he takes it, much more decent now that, than there was before. Uh, this is an interesting one that it happened a bit ago, but uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is signing a college athlete name, image, and likeness bill that's going to go into effect next summer. So that's, I think the California one was going to be 2023. That had put pressure on the NCAA to allow athletes to use their name image and likeness and so but nothing formal uh, had been agreed to yet but basically i mean florida is obviously a huge college sports state so if this goes into effect a year from now that's uh that's gonna have a massive effect on college sports i don't know i really have no idea how much money college players can make could it possibly be enough that more players would crazily enough end up staying in school or at least that this would keep them out of that g league program i, I don't really know and who knows where where the hell college sports is going to be a year from now if any of these schools are even going to be able to have seasons and certainly they're not going to be able to have the amount of uh money in it you would say so uh, I don't know what's going to happen there, but it, that's uh, apparently unless things change, the NCAA is, I mean, they're not going to just kick Florida out of the NCAA. So uh, I think the NCAA is just going to be there at this point. Um, interesting too, like how popular these efforts were on both sides of the political spectrum. DeSantis and uh, Gavin Newsom are uh, pretty opposite of one another politically, and yet they're both on board with uh, this type of legislation. I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, and both, but both sports with major college presences and and states that you know that theoretically could benefit from the uh, uh, recruiting advantage if they can have that potential revenue stream and, and for athletes and other ones can't. I mean, truthfully, Florida is probably a bigger deal in college athletics than California is right now. Although although the non-revenue sports, California is still huge, like Stanford, UCLA. Like they, they have like crazy good like swimming teams and stuff. Yeah, we um, um, Which let's, a little bit uh, from Tim Bontemps and Andrew Lopez had a, had a piece 
at ESPN on Wednesday about Zion Williamson being ready to go, that he's been a regular at the team facility. Uh, David Griffin said that he is in a good space physically and mentally and has been diligent about taking care of himself. And there are some who have this theory that like a lot of this stuff was concocted to give Zion a chance when under the bright lights. And I think he'll have plenty of chances under the bright lights in the next few years. But he will be a big storyline, at least of the first two weeks of play during the seeding games. Yeah, and I, there was the what is a very usual comment from an unnamed source saying, "Oh wow, you know he looks amazing." Hey, guess what? Executives think their own player looks amazing, but and I think the, the quote was like, "He's going to really surprise some people." Which, considering how well he played before the shutdown, if he's going to be beyond that, that would be something. Uh, but I I actually could see how that would happen. I mean, he came back from the surgery. To me, he looked much less explosive than he did in preseason and Duke. So if he's gotten that back, which I think is a possibility this long after the knee surgery i i don't that may not be bullshit like i I could actually see him being even more ridiculous yeah and remember how much the new look pelicans put into their training staff and maybe they're getting some benefits for that during this time well let's finish up here uh speaking of explosive with the news that vince carter officially has retired he it was pretty clear he was playing his last game with the hawks uh, uh on the night of the coronavirus shutdown What do you take away from the career of Vince Carter? I loved how Vince Carter was able to reinvent himself as a contribute, you know, from ungodly, just superhuman athlete to more complex contributor to solid vet. And I honestly think it's that evolution that is going to make him a Hall of Famer, that it was that it isn't just the half man, half amazing or the, the star that he was in the early part of his career, that there was so much of a second act that really helps it. Also, the greatest in-game dunk, I believe, has has existed in like American basketball, the dunk over Frederick Weiss, and some of the greatest dunk contest performances ever. So, I mean, there's like Vince Carter has such a fascinating legacy because the highlights are definitely there, but there's more to the overall story of his impact on the sport than that. Yeah, you make a good point that he was able to hang around enough so that he became really an ambassador for the sport at the end, got a reputation of being a solid vet because uh, the most salient two things about him I I guess there are really three things that people thought about from on the court that were really negative one was going to his graduation before game seven of the 2001 Eastern Conference semifinals and then missing that shot in the corner that could have won it for Toronto in that series in which he was otherwise brilliant and then essentially pouting his way out of Toronto and getting traded to the Nets and earning the not everlasting ire of a fan base. It seems like they've largely forgiven him at this point. And then really after Orlando made a trade for him, after having made the finals the previous year and supposedly getting him as an upgrade, then he really had a terrible series in their upset loss to the Celtics in 2010. And that was one of the best teams of the decade that didn't win a championship statistically so uh i think some of the memory of those things has faded in part because he's been such a great vet uh, over the last few years and of course i mean he's i i think he's the greatest dunker ever would you agree with that I don't know the history nearly as well as you do, but uh, that I can, in my brain. Well, well yes. so, so who's that, who's on that list? Jordan is on that Dominique. list. Dominique. Yeah, Dominique, Sean Kemp, um, Blake Griffin is probably on that list. Um, oh, man. We're going to get so, we're gonna get so many angry angry tweets. By not I mean, Doc, Dr. J, obviously, yeah. has got to be on that. Um, I mean, and it's too bad a lot of Dr. J's best dunks are, are probably have been lost to history, especially in the ABA. But well, th- there's actually some really good Dr. J highlight videos out there. There's a lot of dunks that I hadn't seen that so- someone put together. Well, and there, um, there was a there was a yeah. great Vince Carter. I thought this was a, a cool stat somebody pulled from uh, on NBA Reddit that Vince Carter played with or against about 30 it was 37 percent of all of the players who have ever played in the nba (laughs) yeah that's amazing um but yeah i I think he might be the best dunker of all time um huge hands really long arms just loved the violence of dunking um so many of his dunks were just incredibly hard dunks great one foot leaper great two foot leaper there's not too many guys who have that level of versatility 
as dunkers, alley-oops, 360s in-game, jumping over a 7-2 guy, which you, which you mentioned. Uh, just he, he dunked in ways that just nobody thought were possible. And, and yeah, a lot of the stuff that he did in that 2000 dunk contest now, like everyone else could do that. But it was so revolutionary at the time, the stuff that he was doing that no one else had even thought of, and he's doing it. Uh, I mean, that's I'll remember that too. And that was really, that's, that dunk contest kind of saved the dunk contest. It really brought it back. They lobbied to have it back. In fact, after in 98, they didn't have it at all. And then 99, there was no all-star game. So that was the, and I love the dunk contest still. Um, and so he's a great player. I mean, I think maybe he wasn't ever really in contention for a first team all NBA slot and only really probably had like five or six all-star quality years, like really high end all-star quality years. But given also the longevity and the fact that he's the best dunker ever, I think he should probably be up there uh, and be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I agree. All right, that will do it for today. Ben Taylor and I recorded a COVID Daily News podcast just talking about our framework for assessing the risk of a lot of daily activities and you know we're obviously in different positions than anyone else is but and it's an individual decision on a lot of these uh, of whether you know what the benefits are versus what the risks are of each individual's situation we tried to talk through a framework to help people who are making decisions about what activities they're going to engage in in their daily lives with uh the coronavirus resurgence uh maybe the and the realization that hey you know we're probably going to be in this new normal dealing with this virus for maybe more than a year in the future now the thought was that your mindset maybe changes a little bit then okay we're gonna lock down for two months and this thing's gonna be gone so uh we talked a lot about that uh, we've gotten a lot of nice comments uh, from that so I, I encourage you to check it out even if you haven't seen that podcast uh, before and uh, anything you want to talk about before we go yeah i recorded real jam radio with sam vicini that came out on thursday uh we did the, his rookie scale rankings which was this massive 31 piece series for the athletic and also we talked lamella ball and then edwards a little bit towards the end also the collaborative off-season previews that i'm doing at the athletic with uh seth partnow and dave defour we did the hornets recently so you can check that out the i think we wrote like four thousand words on the on the hornets so that's the, it is really it's really fun to just talk with those guys about you know kind of work through things and I'm doing my solo my solo series as well, but to have those kind of working together in tandem has been really enjoyable. Okay, uh, we will be back uh, either Sunday or Monday night. We'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.